When I started to research buyer behaviors, I found that most of the work was around retail. And I'm a business to business business. And a lot of my clients are too. So this podcast is all about how we use buyer behaviors to help in the marketing and sales process if we sell to other businesses or we're a business selling business type services. That's what this is for, not for retailers. Although retailers, you can still learn something. Hi, my name is Rachel Plava and I'm the host of Mifit Marketing and I'm really looking forward to going through this with you this week because I think it's so important when we understand why we do the marketing we do and the sales we do and understand when someone's not just jigging with us and being the right person for us to buy right now. So we're going to go through what that looks like for you. We're also going to have a look at how you can adapt your marketing for that as well. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. Now, if you want to ask questions, come along to Mavit Marketing in Facebook. It's a Facebook group where you can ask questions, get information and just hang out with other business owners. Plus, keep an eye out. In a few short weeks, just over a month, we are launching a new podcast called Confident Content. It's all about content marketing, going deep, deep, deep into content marketing. If you check out confidentcontentpodcast.com, you can sign up to get notifications when the first episodes come out. Let's get started on Buyer Behaviours. Welcome, this is Mavit Marketing and I am your host, Rachel Claver. I love helping small business owners become more confident and more capable with their marketing. So this podcast is all here to help you do just that. It's me and the help of some great guests helping you learn new skills, new strategies and ideas. Let's jump in and get started. Hello and welcome to Mavit Marketing. I'm your host, Rachel Claver, which I know you already heard in the introduction, but I do the introduction in this bit separately, mainly because I want to make sure that I, I don't know, plan myself well. Right, we're going to talk about different buyer profiles today and mainly in the B2B or B2C context that's not retail because I think a lot of the time when we have a look at buyer profiles, it's often around the retail space and the examples that I have found when I was researching it very much are focusing on that. So I've got nine different buyer profiles and how they relate to a B2B business. I'm really looking forward to doing this with you today because I learned some stuff um, when I was researching this. I knew about six already offhand, plus I'd identified another one and discovered it was a profile. Um, but this is actually quite a good way to kind of think about how you're going to market yourself and also a little bit around the sales process, how to get people ready to come to what I call the decision hub when they're ready to make a time to see you, talk to you or buy from you. And so we're going to go through all the different options of those. Um, and we're going to start with um, browsers. Browsers. So in a shop situation, you would have people, I am this person, um, I'm often the person that's just browsing. I might not even be just browsing, but I also don't want you to know why I'm there or I am literally just browsing and something might happen, but it's unlikely. Um, so one of the things that you really want to do with browsers is they are often not ready to buy. They have come into, I would say that if I'm talking about creating a sticky web, they'd be right on the periphery of the web. They're kind of there just hanging out. They haven't really thought about ever buying from us. They're just attracted to what we're doing. They're really interested in some of the things we're saying. They have either got no intent or they've got no money or they've got no time or they've got no pressing need, but something's drawing them in and attracting them. And so we have, well, for these people, we want to have content that's lots of add value content. This is what we use it for. We have add value content that really helps them go, I want to stick around near this person. I'm getting lots of value from them. 
I am enjoying hanging out or watching their stuff or reading their stuff. And those browsers will actually be the bulk of the people coming into our little business sphere. Um, that is just how it should be. If you're not getting any of these, this means we're not marketing essentially because we will always have a largest number of people that are this person. They'll probably, so a lot of them will never, ever buy from us. But they are already important because some of them will buy. And the key is to be patient. But the other key for these ones is to get their email. Once we have their email, we can offer things at a different level of intimacy. We can offer things that provide people uh, with ways to build more trust with us. We capture them in our sticky web. So a browser you know, might first come to our content and then decide to follow us. So that's, that first, that's basically like walking into a shop front. Um, just seeing our content on the social media page or something like that is really just walking past the shop window and going, oh, I like that dress. Um, but walking in the door is joining and linking with us somewhere on a social media profile. But our goal with these people is to get their email. It's not to sell to them. And that's why we don't want to do promotional posts in everything that we do because we don't want to have to feel like we have to sell. If you're selling, if I went into a shop, if you went into a shop, and people were selling to you the whole time and offering you, it's like, it's like when you go into restaurants and every 10 minutes they ask you how things are going and you're like, I was in the middle of a conversation, so right now it's not going to good. Um, but you don't want to have that feeling. So it's about patience. It's not, a, it's not about pulling on the energy. It's about giving them lots of value, giving them lots of things to look at and enjoy and capturing them so they want to keep coming back and browsing so that you're building over time a need and a desire to hang out with you more. Um, and the goal is to get an email, which is why we have lead generation. So that's why all lead magnets, that's why we have those things. Uh, because we want to give them something that is free, that is super cool, that's going to get them continue to get in contact with us. It is not enough to, by the way, get the email and they're not be in contact with them, which is an entirely different topic. We have talked about it before and most likely I will talk about it again. I'll especially be talking about it on my new podcast. <laughs> Rachel, you're terrible. Called Confident Content Podcast. Oh, it's a well, it's called Confident Content. But if you go to confidentcontentpodcast.com, you can register. It's coming out on August the 18th, uh, 2023. If you're listening to this in another year, another dimension. Uh, I really shouldn't do these on Saturday mornings after I've had sugar, should I? You can tell. All right, so that's the browsers. The second one is the bargain hunters. Bargain hunters often want to ask for discounts. They're always looking for the best and cheapest opportunity to work with you. Um, and so with these people, I think some of the things that I think are really important is that these are the people that they're one of the reasons that we want to have a price on our website. Otherwise, you can waste a lot of time. Like even if it's a starting from price, you can waste a lot of time having people make times to meet with you or talking to you and sounding really engaged. And you get really excited about those people, but they have no concept of your value. And so having pricing can really just help eliminate those people from taking one-on-one -on -one time with you uh, because they're not going to take it. Um, but we also want to make sure that we have some low-cost or uh, paid options for those people. So one of the things I've got is my, my marketing strategy school. And I've had four or five people sign up to that this month. They are all people who either are bargain hunter because they have to be or they are just bargain hunters. And they can do a strategy and have two hours with me for $595. Better yet, because it's a bargain hunter that I'm targeting, I've made it $148.75 a month. You can see how that's more beneficial to them. And for them, it makes them feel like, wow, I'm getting a really good deal here because I get these two hours with Rachel on top of this course. So I, you know, I think it's really important that we have low-cost paid options over a period of time. 
they are a good thing to have. I wouldn't always say you have to have those right at the beginning, but if you start when you're starting to grow and you've got a good funnel and feed of those other people, I don't promote that course very often. Obviously, I've just talked about it now, but those signups have come just organically from people seeking out my services, going, oh, that's not too too pricey or not right for me right now, not ready for that financially. Oh, but here's this cheaper option. That's really how it's worked. You don't want to start with these offers. We want to have our core offer. But as you grow and evolve and you're starting to grow an audience, where you're starting to grow desire and you've got a good flow in, then we would induce these, introduce these bargain hunter options. The other thing you can do here is having discounts for signups for things. So I do, every now and again, I do paid webinars. And so that people have signed up to my emails get a discount on those. I also have a discount for people, a bigger discount for people who join my Facebook group, Method Marketing. And I have the biggest discount of all for people I've worked with in the before, which we'll talk about later. But bargain hunting is something that we can talk to even in a B2B thing without really uh, lowering the value of our brand, without cheapening who we are. We can just build in bargains within our content. I also have like online courses, cheap ones that people can do with resources, and I'm slowly building those up. Now, I have hardly any there. I could have a lot more, but I am all about making sure that my core value, the big stuff that I'm selling, is really smoothly running with no little hooks, and I find hooks or little blocks, and I'm working on that first because we always sell the big stuff first before we jump into creating little cheap offers. So if you are stuck kind of going, oh, I should offer these, but you're not, you don't have a regular flow of other work in yet, if you don't have waiting lists, if you don't have like almost too much content to cope with or sorry, too much work to cope with or you're not meeting those targets, don't go in with the bargain hunting stuff now. Get that stuff sorted out first and then when you're ready, you can add the bargain hunting stuff. Right, the next one is the showroomers. These are people who want to check all your free stuff and use you as a research tool before they go and choose somebody else. I have had these people and actually, I feel quite hurt sometimes when I have spent a lot of time and energy with someone and I have misread them showing interest and then they've gone and chosen someone else and I have felt that we had a connection or something like that, but I've realized they were using me to remove obstacles with that person. Now, that's always going to happen to an extent. I do think this is when we, if you're getting... Lots of these people, you really need to up the personality in your content so it's got a lot more feeling about who you are. The reason we want to do that is that we want people to really understand and see who we are. We want them to understand and see that uh, they can recognize our voice and the way we do things. And so they start going, actually, the way you're doing it, I'm resonating with more. If they choose someone else because they're not resonating as much that's, uh, with us, then that's actually okay. But we really need to up the response, the personality of our marketing to stand out. And this is actually the same with retail too. Like I, you know, I work with a couple of retailers who get upset that they, all these other competitors are like, you have to, the only thing you've got that's different to them is you because you've all got the same products. The only way you can stand out is to up your personality, up your personal voice, up that and make that more prevalent because people are going to relate to you and their money isn't so much of a factor. Um, but also in this sort of thing, we want to up testimonials. We really want to share other people's feedback about what we do, like using testimonials more because it's starting to help show what the benefits are to other people. And where we're, when we're talking about in this is we want to also make sure that in our marketing, we're talking about the benefits. A benefit is something that is the end result, the outcome that people are going to get as opposed to features. And 
yes, there is still a place for features. The next kind of shopper that we're going to talk about want features, but we really want to have a clear outline of what the benefits, the end result is going to be and really push that hard, which is where testimonials really help. It's one of the things I've started doing. I have got much better at collecting testimonials this year. I am still really bad at sharing testimonials this year. I have some incredible testimonials and I get annoyed every time I see other people sharing these because I'm like, damn it, mine are still sitting in a folder somewhere. I've got to do something with them. This is an area of development for me. I struggle with putting them out. Why are they bloody counselling about it? I don't think I need counselling about it. Please don't come at me with ideas. But I'm just saying, we all have areas, right? I just, I think for me, I, I've always kind of shied away from the, from, I got taught to not show up, show off when I was a kid because I was a show off. I was naturally a performer and, you know, and so I think for me, you know, I tend to underplay things, but I'm really proud of what I'm doing now. So I'm proud of these testimonials and it's more just the admin sometimes involved with getting them organized because when you do them, you want to do them right. And I'm saying like all my clients right now, so let's just move on before I get frustrated with it. Okay, right. I will fix it because I've told you to do it. So now I have to do it myself. I'm putting it on my list of stuff to do this week. All right. And the last, the next thing you want to do with these showroomers is you also want to think about how you could offer some lower cost in the door offers. So again, that could be things like uh, resources they can buy, workshops that they can attend. I've got my book, things that they can come to and spend a little bit of money with to get more of a feeling for you. Um, and that can help. But things, free things can do that too. You can have your podcast, you can have blogs, you can have regular emails, anything that's upping that personality and showing your personal style is good. As you can tell, my personal style includes a lot of personal doubt on a Saturday morning when you've had too much sugar. All right, number four. So we've got browsers, bargain hunters, and showroomers. Who has had some of these in their business and who is aware that they're not managing these ones, right? A wonder. Um, the only accent I can kind of ever do is a Scottish one and often my Scottish one doesn't sound very Scottish and it is a sense of deep mirth to my family. All right, um, the next one, number four, is a mission shopper. They tend to come with a big list to check with. Um, I am not this person because I tend to go and gut, but my husband would definitely be this person. He'll make a list of all the attributes or things he's looking for and then he'll go on a mission to see what he can find that is the closest to that. That is his IT um, critical thinking skills person, right? I'm probably um, going to be a poor result for a critical thinking person because I have typos in my emails and they don't like those as a general rule. But they are about results. So while we want to talk about benefits, which we had for the showroomers, we also need to be really clear on features. So things like how often are you going to meet? What sort of time am I going to get with you one-on-one? -on -one? What are you going to be doing during these sessions? What are you going to be having here? These are the people that when I am doing a strategy thing, this doesn't happen anymore because I'm so much better around displaying how the process works but I used to get can I just have a look at a strategy that you've done for somebody else so I can get an idea of what you're doing no no you can't because for a start I can't show you someone else's strategy and for a second thing is the strategy on the piece of paper is not the strategy the strategy for us is the conversation and that you can't find on there um, so you want to have things that, like being really clear about the features having a really clear landing page of exactly what is in your offer being detailed about it, not fluffy, really clear. And the pricing on there too is important. And make sure that your testimonials that you use to share 
are around the impact of your business. That's going to really help those mission shoppers go, yes, this is the person. I would also say that there's a bit of personality in there, but these are people that are making a strategic decision. And these are people who are like a couple of my colleagues and clients who have chosen business coaches who they don't naturally bond with. So I've got people in my group who I feel like they are my people. And I think that a sign of maturity and stage for me as a coach is when I realize that there's someone who might not be my person that has come into the group because they want someone that they're grating against or bumping against. And it's not a personal thing. It's actually them using that challenge point to really come through. That's a mission shopper. I am here because of the mission, not because of personality, not because I feel attached to you in some way. So I think that that is also a cool thing. I get deeply attached to all my clients, whether they love me or not. It's just a chronic, <laughs> a chronic personality trait I cannot change. All right, number five. Uh, Rachel notes that she should never eat her um, chocolate protein bar just before doing a podcast or have a second coffee. All right, number five. So we've done browsers, we've done bargain hunters, show promos, mission shoppers. Number five is an impulse buyer. Now, I'm not a fan of these. I've had bad experiences with them um, for big projects because I don't want someone coming and making a big emotional decision with me because they often haven't thought it through and I can be painfully annoying. Um, so for these people, we want to make sure that we have some low cost, limited time offers to help them build relationships. So you can have that to get that impulse buying thing in, like go, oh, damn it, I'm just going to have to get that book or, okay, I'm just going to have to come to that workshop. And then we have a chance for them to slowly make decisions to do a bigger thing. But we don't necessarily want to be using that manipulation that you can use in retail to get impulse buying for B2B. It's not as good for those bigger ones. However, there are some things we can do, making it easy to buy. So my my marketing strategy school, it was, it's $5.95. Um, we weren't getting many conversions with that. I changed it to $148.75 a month for four months, and we've had so many more sales. Same price, just makes it easier to buy. Um, doesn't hurt so much. Impulse buying is also about being really responsive to emails and messages and really like, you know, if someone's got a question, answering it quickly because it's going to help remove that objection to them. And also make sure that you have little add-ons that you can capture. So impulse buying might not be about devaluing or um, the big offer, but it might be adding little offers, little extra bits on for people that want to, to add those to their proposals or ideas. So that's how we would do that. Excuse the rattle of paper by the way. All right, number seven, the indecisive shopper. This actually might be number six. It is number six. Um, number six, the indecisive shopper. Um, hang on, did I get them right? Just checking that I put them in the right order because you know what? I think I might have done, yeah, you know what? I put them in the wrong order when I stapled this together. I'm glad I worked it out because I want to talk about this one first. Number six, the chatter squeezer, the squeezer. Okay, I call them the squeezer because they're wanting to squeeze everything out of us they can and they may not plan to buy. These are the ones that I have the biggest issue with because they look like they're really keen. They come in hot, they come in excited, but they're actually not really planning to buy. They're just planning to get as much free stuff from you as possible. Now, they still can become customers, um, but if we're too eager with them and give them too much, we actually stop them getting the need to become a customer. And this is the bit I find hardest because I like giving my time and my and my spending time and all my enthusiasm. And I find it's very easy for me to give stuff. And then I will get quite hurt if I realize that that person was a squeezer. Um, a squeezer. 
Uh, so they want your free time. So I actually had to put boundaries. Like I used to offer like a free 15 minute chat for anyone. Some I had would have, I had to make a boundary once because a particular person just kept on trying to book that time and they'd do it like every couple of months. I'd be like, this person is just coming for her 15 minute fix and that's it. So we made it just one per, one per person. And then I still would get people who are just basically using it to get like a 15 minute fix go away. So that's when I started going, actually, a sales meeting is a sales meeting. I don't do discovery calls. I'm just going to have a sales meeting and everything else is group related so that other people can benefit from it. So like if anyone asks me a question, I go, uh, via email, I go, great, you can ask that question in the Mappet group and then I will answer it for you in there so other people can benefit. Or you can book some time with me and either pay time or if you're wanting to do such and such, we can talk about that and then I'll solve it for you then. So I had to learn to put some boundaries around things myself. I also have very clear boundaries, which do get surpassed sometimes when someone is sneaky, a sneaky squeezer. I should call them a sneaky squeezer. I have really clear um, sales meeting format. So I have a tell me about your business, talk about things, and then identifying needs. And then we got, I ask permission to share what we do. Every now and again, I'll get someone to who squeezes past that. And often it's because they've changed the way that we work. So because a lot of our work is in Zoom, I only want to talk to people on a Zoom call uh, and I don't actually like talking to people on the phone. The reason I don't like doing it is not because I've got a problem with the phone. It's more I want to train people in working with me on Zoom and if they're not happy to work with me on a sales meeting in Zoom and we don't have a good connection in that, it's going to make it really hard for me to do my work. So it's actually a filtering thing. Um, and the people that I've got the squeezer thing wrong with are people who phone me. I've had it happen maybe four times in the last year where people will um, pretend they're really interested and come back and say, hey, um, you know, I'm still really keen, still really keen. Um, and But I just had a question that I just wanted to ask if you could just like help me with because I was thinking about this thing. And of course, I'm like, of course I'll help because I'm kind of going sales thing. And then I help and then they might do that a couple of times and then they ghost me. Um, and I get sucked in and it hurts me actually because I'm quite a trusting person. And I and this is the one that I really went, oh, yeah, this is a problem for me. I, I now know they're called the squeezer and I'm going to put my head, I think this is a squeezer. But I these are the ones that I will overgo my boundaries with and I'll give too much. So with these ones, we have to make sure we don't get sucked into that. We stick to the format of the way that we best do our sales meetings or do those things. We focus on our offer and be and remember that these are the most likely to ghost us especially even though we've given the most time um but keep consistent you know they can turn around the only thing I would say is that often these ones will come at you with quite a lot of different um, objections as well and questions that they're wanting you to fix to go I'm almost ready to talk to you but I just need to have an answer to this question and they're often something that you are giving advice on so I I feel mean but I've started saying that stuff that we would cover if I was working with you. That's actually stuff I can't answer. Um, but often they've got more than they would have from someone anyway. They are a squeezer. Um, I just think with these people, you keep it consistent. You still do all the follow-up you would do. You can turn it around. But out of all of them, the, these ones and the, and the, um, are the hardest ones to sell to. Okay, so that's the one I have the biggest issue with. Number seven. Okay, so that was number six. Number seven, the indecisive shopper. So with these people, you know, we do need to be patient with them. They're going to take a while. They have obstacles. They have objections. We want to be patient. We want to follow up. But we also want to stand firm in who we are and our value. And I think this is really on a, really important. 
Um, you know, one of the things I've learned in that indecisive thing is if it's a money thing, I just calmly state what the pricing is, what the rules are around it. Um, if we've got like a payoff option, we offer that. We've also got like a, you know, a pay over 12 month finance option that people can use. I talk about those things, but I don't press the point because it's their money and they need to decide that themselves. And a money objection is not a money objection. It's actually a, an objection around the value and the trust that they have in me. That's actually what the va- what the problem is because people always can find money for the thing that they want. Even if they can't get it right now, they'll make time to get that money. So one of the things with indecisive people is be really honest, be really clear, give time within boundaries and make sure you follow them up and be there for the questions that are around those objections. But don't spend energy and time trying to convince somebody they will work it out themselves. They are used to having people do that to them. Don't be the puller. Let them come to you and be patient with them. So that's the indecisive one. The number eight is one of my favorite ones. They are actually my favorite clients to come to me. They are people that have come to me often because they have been in my sticky web for some time and they come in hot. Um, These are all the best customers that I've worked with. And so some of these people have been on my list for two, three, four, five, six years um, and they have come because I've been consistent. They know my value. They can, they're able to describe what my value is. They know what I'm offering. They understand that sort of stuff. They've done their research. They've read my, my stuff. They understand. They've um, read my reviews. They've read my testimonials. They are, have been sold to consistently with my content. And I've offered regular promotional things to explain what I do. So they understand that. And that's all the things you've got to do to help that educated customer come in. Of course, the drawback is they often take a long time to come through. So we need to have at, um, sales things around those other people that can make quicker decisions. But with these people, we need to give them opportunities to know us better and know what we believe and what we say and what we teach and what we provide better. We can do that with blogs, with videos, with stories, with lives, with podcasts like this. Um, anything that helps build trust with the person. And obviously, your website needs to also be super clear. And you need to just have regular opportunities to call these people to action. I say 10 to 20% of your content should be directed at these people at all times. Um, so you should have that content. And then in terms of the last one, apologies for the rattle of paper. Hang on, let me do a rattle. Okay, apologies for that. But anyway, the last one is another favorite of mine. These are our loyal customers. I have some of these that have worked with us for a very long time. We want to really reward people for loyalty. And I think we just often don't do that anymore or don't do it enough. These are our repeat buyers. These are the people that stick with us. These are the people that refer other people. These people deserve preferential treatment. They ask, they deserve for us to ask them for input into new stuff. They are, they um, deserve to have first access to new stuff or discounts. I give a lot of my loyal customers, they get, um, if I'm doing a webinar, they get my stuff either completely for free. If they're a current content marketing con- um, person, they normally get it for free. If they're a current uh, market coaching client, marketing coaching or strategy client they often get it for free they often get other resources and things that I have for free because that's my hey I really am thankful for you working with me and this is going to help so I'm just going to give it to you um, and then there's other people that might get it for a mag- mega discount so past customers who are no longer kind of directly working with us will get a mega discount on any new offers that we have or other things to allow them to do that not with everything not with one-to-one work but other things we definitely allow that to happen because we want to bless people for loyalty because they become our referrers, they're our fans, and when they're close to us and they are part of our sticky web and they stay there, 
they become people who build our businesses and we need to really honestly look after them. So that's them. That is the nine types of buyer behaviors, looking at it from a business or a service-based business model. I'd love to know from you, which ones of those did you go, yeah, you know what, I need to work on working on those or yeah, I'm definitely having a lot of those ones and that might be why I'm not converting or there's some things I need to do here and have a think about it. The more that we focus on managing how we're talking, we don't have to talk to all of them, but the more we've got this in mind and help to understand who people are and kind of go, here, oh, hang on a minute, this is a browser. They're not quite ready to buy today, so I don't need to push this in. We don't need to jump into them. We don't need to push this way. But for this person here, they are a person that's an educated buyer and they're coming through and they're having a questions and things like that. Or they might be someone who's a mission-based person. They've got a list and it's going to help them tick it off understanding the buyer behavior and talking to them in a different way is really important. So have a go, have a think and see if this can make an impact to your marketing and sales. Sometimes I feel a little bit selfish with these podcasts because I realize when I'm planning them and working things out, I find gaps in my own marketing. And one of the things that I realized was I always get a bit upset with those chatty people who just are kind of going to dose me afterwards. And I have learned that I have boundary issues around those people. What I didn't realize was a particular buyer type. And now I'm thinking, how better can I recognize them? And what can I be doing in my marketing to maybe either not have so many of them be attracted to me, which has actually helped. I have changed some things to make that happen, but also to better recognize them so I'm more prepared for them when they book a time with me so I don't get caught in a wares and share too much. Most of the other ones I feel I'm managing, but I'd be interested to find out what you thought you needed to work on from this podcast. Now, next week, I'm super, super excited because I've got Kat with us. She is going to teach us all about the Peaceful Pipeline, which again is a business-to-business type podcast, but it's all about how she is teaching you how to build a pipeline that fits you if you're a bit more introverted and don't want to have to freak out and be everywhere all the time. It's a really beautiful thing. I learned so much from her. I felt like she's just my people as well. 100% think that it's a well worth listening to episode. And remember, have a great week and pop along to confidentcontentpodcast.com to register so that you're ready for when it comes out on the 18th of August. If you love what you heard today, be sure to hit subscribe. And if you love this episode in particular, I'd love it if you shared it on social media. Remember to tag me in so I can say thank you. Have a great week and we'll talk soon.